0: Welcome to Hamburger Business Review. Today, we're talking about McDonald's, Wendy's, and hedge funds, hamburger hedging. I'm here today with my co-host, Zach Ross.
1: Thank you, Mike. You know, I read through this one and I'll be honest, it's a bit over my head. I think I got the general point, but I'm wishing we had some sort of financial guru that we could bring in
2: you rang hello gentlemen we would love to introduce marcus estes hey guys oh hey marcus i uh i have to say i i find it funny that that your social networks have not produced any expert with better pedigree than me but i'll take it can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in this whole world yeah, sure. Yeah. As I mentioned, I definitely don't have a traditional professional track record directly in finance. However, starting a long time ago in the year 2000, I um, took a job. I was living in Athens, Georgia. I took a job with a um, technically a sort of financial services firm called Elliott Wave International. It's like a company that publishes these very 80s style financial newsletters that uh, attempt to predict market prices. And this one was notable because it had this very charismatic guru at the helm. This guy that kind of uncovered a non-traditional manner of trying to predict prices that involve patterns in mass psychological behavior and cultural analysis and stuff. So basically, for several years, as a young man, I was paid to write columns and got a chance to go pretty deep on a lot of market mechanics and understand them. And then I found I kind of liked it and enjoyed it. And I've always been that way. So not like a heavy uh, trader type, but rather sort of a, someone that enjoys stepping back and observing this stuff as a cultural phenomenon. Hopefully I can help uh, help unpack this uh this particular report which i found interesting i'm glad that
0: early exposure to a charismatic fringe finance person didn't rub off on you in any way <laughs> <laughs> this case study starts out kind of giving us this overview of the growing hedge fund activism
1: that was happening Greed, for lack of a better word is good Zach, what era was this again? This particular article, I think, is covering the period of the 2000s.
0: So this is post the kind of corporate rating period of the 80s, which was initiated with huge amounts of debt um, kick out management and usually sell off pension funds and a lot of little dark stuff. Hedge fund activism is a little bit different than that. This case study points out in that they are raising a bunch of money buying shares, but it's not debt based So presumably there's a little bit less of a ticking clock in terms of when they need to get their returns. We get into this tale of two activists, Carl Icahn. I said, screw it. Got rid of the whole 12 floors sold the lease for $10 million. Former corporate raider, now hedge fund activist, and some of his proxy fights where he would go in and push companies to distribute more cash to shareholders through dividends, share repurchases. One of his big things was reducing CEO compensation. And it's interesting in this because as much as they're not using debt to make these purchases, there was this mention that they did want companies to take on more risk by borrowing to increase leverage, which would also create pressure on management to become more efficient and accountable. And so right away, we have this idea that these activists, these hedge funds, investors, corporate writers, they don't want
1: stability. They want things to
0: be a little bit desperate and pushing forward.
1: What's the difference between buying up McDonald's and getting their property assets to get loans? That sounds a lot like the corporate rating of the 80s just sort of repackaged.
0: I agree. They make that point that they are different, But as we get into this and look at what they're actually doing, it feels just like a very mild flavor difference. It's like taking a quarter pounder, adding some lettuce and tomato and calling it a deluxe.
1: And Carl Icahn has recently been involved in McDonald's in the last year or two.
2: Now the man known as the lone wolf of Wall Street is taking on the world's biggest fast food chain over its treatment of pigs.
1: That's a situation that's just horrible
2: as I've seen you got you got these companies making all this money and these animals just
1: suffering for no reason. Pushing of what I understand to be a very small amount of money, I think about $60,000 worth of, of McDonald's, which is a pocket change to him, and has been pushing this agenda for animal rights and animal welfare. I really do feel emotional about these animals and the unnecessary suffering. You put them through. It follows this sort of pattern of like, I'm here for a specific agenda.
2: Now as to why Icon is waging this fight with a fast food chain known for its bacon cheeseburger, well, he says he's inspired by his daughter, a vegetarian animal lover who worked at the Humane Society.
0: It's interesting to look at what is the minimum amount of purchase you have to make to get a seat at the table or be able to make those demands.
2: You know, there's regulatory aspects of this, but a lot of what's being demonstrated in this paper and is the um power of the cult of personality. The ownership stakes that these guys will take to begin their activism are important because they show certain ability to force things to happen. If you were to syndicate shareholders and get votes, you can, you know make things happen. But at no point with these single percentage stakes, even, can they really force anything? What they're doing is these two guys in particular, especially at this time, are kind of financial celebs. So when they speak up and go to the public and say, hey, we see these changes, we'd like to see this, they're really just cashing in on their kind of uh, reputation as almost you know financial
1: influencers. And they mentioned that during the years in which these discussions are ongoing, a lot of attention is brought to the stock the price goes up.
2: Yeah, exactly. I would say that probably for management it's probably a very bad day when you have one of these activist guys put you in their spotlight, but it's also correct that you know it has had some really good financial effects for some of these companies. Of course there are numerous examples where that's not the case as well
0: the returns that these guys are making are pretty astounding the next profile that we get is william ackman who starts his first fund like right out of business school when he's 26 years old eventually he starts pershing square capital management in 2004 42% 42 percent returns and then 2005 40 percent returns and grows his assets under management to a billion dollars in early 2006 so just very quickly becoming just someone who can really throw a lot of money and influence into these things
2: and we should by the way we should absolutely call him Bill you know it's bill Bill Ackman you know he started his career basically whiz kid right you know he's a young guy massive returns and importantly he just kind of caught the tiger you know when you have that kind of visibility and then he attracted, of course, capital. For such a young guy, he had a lot of assets under management early in his career, and it compounded in a way and allowed him to do these kind of dramatic things. Yeah, there's so much to talk about with this guy. Outside of the shenanigans in this paper, uh, he's had a long and storied career of just making a lot of noise, making a lot of money, making a lot of mess of a lot of things. And he's just a, frankly, he's a very smart guy, but he's also kind of an idiot. And I'm so happy we're here to talk about him today. because we're talking about the profile of these two characters i think
0: it's and and this is something where we're going to move into the future a little bit uh into 2012 which is outside the scope of this particular case study but there was a moment when bill and carl went head to head when the wolves bite two billionaires one company and wall street's most epic battle. Bill Ackman had a a special event and he laid out his billion-dollar short and you know everybody was like oh my god this is you know the guy's got a billion dollars on the line he's gone public in a way that few people have ever gone public on such a big short it just so happened that Icon and his people were watching what was going on with with Herbalife at the time the fact that uh, Ackman had knocked the stock down so much those guys had had a, a long simmering feud for a decade and saw an opportunity.
2: It showed a lot of contrast there, you know, between these two guys. Icon saw Bill kind of rightfully as this know-it-all figure that felt capable of moving markets with his pronouncements. He said, well, you know, you're doing this with a pocketbook and I've got one of those too. I'm going to call your bluff. And they went head-to-head with huge positions that were directly opposed to one another. And man, that's I wish it had more of a connection to uh, the burger biz because that would be a fun episode to just get into in its own right. But if anyone's curious, about that. It's a fun bit of human drama to just kind of Google Herbalife Ackerman icon and just kind of get into it. It's really interesting how it played out.
0: I think a lot of the early moves that these guys learn to make, especially Bill being a lot younger, are sort of profiled here as well. The next part of this case study, we, we get into Wendy's. And this is really interesting because we talked about this back when we were looking at the launch of the Mitt Cafe in Canada. When Wendy's had bought Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons used this money from this Wendy's investment to massively expand. Suddenly they spun it off in an IPO. And I was like, why didn't they hold on to that if it was doing so well? And it turns out the answer is in this case study. It's that Bill Ackman purchased a large stake, saw that Wendy's was undervalued if you take into account the growth of Tim Hortons and got them to spin that off into another company and made a huge amount of money.
2: I was going to say one pattern here in, in these assessments in this paper, it's Bill saying you've got more value here than the market has been able to piece out and understand. The analysts that are covering the stock are looking at one thing, which is how many burgers are you selling? What's your marginal rate on that? You know, what's your price to earnings? And Bill essentially saying, let's help them understand the value by carving things out and then sort of forcing everybody to analyze these different segments of the business. In a way, it's kind of discrediting the rest of the market in a certain way They say, hey, if everyone was as smart as I would, the stock would be priced properly. But let's do some financial engineering to make it more visible.
1: And also the IPO of Tim Hortons would raise a some significant amount of publicity for Tim Hortons, right? And then that would follow on with people checking out Tim Hortons and growing more Tim Hortonses, right? It's all connected.
2: Good point. That's a really weird observation, the like PR aspect for a consumer product. I'm curious to the extent that that's the case. I wonder if anyone's ever tried to look at that.
0: The impact on Wendy's, which again, this case study doesn't get into because it was written in 2006. But if you pull up the Wendy's stock price chart, it's in this massive hockey stick growth phase, right up until like early 2007. And then it plummets like straight down. So this hurt Wendy's a lot. While, you know, the case study says that Wendy's stock appreciated by 55% from 39 to nearly 61. It then, you know, just returned a a nosedive after that.
2: They were um pointing at the success of that financial engineering to McDonald's management who were resistant. And it's interesting to note, yeah the long term viability of that stuff were there other things happening with it? do you think that was directly related to the spin out and the the uh, the engineering or
0: i think it was definitely a factor i don't know that it was the sole reason for that i know there was also some change in management that was also led by some of this push from ackman there was definitely structural changes were being made and i do think that it was a short-term gain for shareholders and a long-term harm for the overall business of Wendy's. It's interesting how you know they start with this focus on Wendy's because when we immediately as we shift into this McDonald's it's the pretty much exact same thing with McDonald's and Chipotle. And so we're at the end of 2005. McDonald's is one of the few restaurant chains that owns just a massive amount of real estate which we've talked about before. They also at this time own 90% of Chipotle
2: in 2006 chipotle goes public the ipo price is set at 22 dollars by the end of the first day it doubles to 44 dollars that growth is only the beginning so marcus
0: it's 2005 and you're looking at mcdonald's what are you seeing in terms of the value and how do you want to break that up to sort of it's almost like fracking you need to like break this all up to release the trapped value of this giant company
2: I'm looking at this massive consumer brand and looking at the actual operations and seeing quite a lot of complexity. Several businesses that don't really necessarily have to rely upon each other. You've got, as you mentioned, a massive real estate play, and then you've got this more low margin you know, restaurant operation thing happening. Do you really need all this centralized management overseeing multiple businesses? Can't we break them up and let the street mark and price each of them separately and then in specifically here rather than just simply spin out everything can we use that mechanism to raise some debt and then use that debt to do other things that would help shareholders buybacks etc I would say this. I mean, he's kind of a complexity guy, right? He's just kind of saying, you know what I like about these like activist guys? They're sort of freelance CEOs in a way. (laughs) Looking over at someone else's shoulder being like, you know what you ought to do? I think he basically put a pitch together that was wild restructuring and amount of work. And also, I would say, somewhat disempowering to you know a CEO who's currently overseeing all this stuff. And he's basically saying, hey, let's part it out and have other people manage these other things. I, uh, I'm not surprised that it didn't go over immediately well. There's
0: a exhibit in here where it shows the structure of Ackman's pitch. And it's one, the franchising operation, two, the restaurant operation, and three, the real estate business. And I just want to hope and dream that at one point in that presentation, he presented those in the style of a Big Mac.
2: Something tells me that like the aesthetics on display here, I have a feeling we're dealing with like the depths of PowerPoint hell aesthetically. I would love to know. (laughs) Can we
0: talk about debt? Because I think that most of us, we think of debt as bad. We think of credit card debt.
1: I have also this very layman's understanding that stocks and bonds are somehow duels of each other and do opposite things. I'm on a personal level, a McDonald's shareholder, which is it's about time I disclose that on this show. If I were rich enough to buy McDonald's commercial paper or McDonald's debt, would that be a good thing to do? As well as hold their stock. That's a really good way of
2: getting into this topic, Zach. So I haven't been looking at at McDonald's deeply enough to go into a specific recommendation. But thinking in a big way about, yeah, most people think if you're interested in a company, you think they do, you know, may have a good product, and, and maybe you could make some money by betting on their success. For the average investor, stocks are obviously the way to get in, right? For good reason, equity, which is represented by stock, is a good long term bet. But yeah, the lifeblood of a company, in terms of its financial flows, are represented really in two dimensions. It's not just the stock that is a way to raise money. It's certainly the bonds, in other words, the debt structure as well. And to be clear, average investors, you can absolutely buy into McDonald's corporate bonds. You know, it's funny just in terms of like the interfaces that you use to do it. But in general, bond trading is a little bit more dynamic and complicated because of the pacing of it. It's not just as one-to-one, is the company successful so the bonds are priced well. Basically, you're loaning money and getting it back in a normal way. But oftentimes what's happening you're trading on that debt in the interim and sometimes bond prices can go up and down for reasons that maybe don't make a lot of sense for the average investor you know briefly looking at this from the perspective of the company and Mike I, l- I love your point we tend to think of debt you're right as a bad thing the reason of course is that a lot of the times when consumers go into debt they're doing that in order to consume you know buy a car luxury goods or certainly our home but it's interesting to think about if you were to borrow money and use that money to invest the money well if you can borrow at a low rate and you invest the money and you do better, well, then you've just created money out of thin air. That is, of course, risky business for the individual household. But for businesses, the corporate bond market is, uh, unlike consumer debt, really, quote unquote, cheap money. There's a lot of money flowing around for corporations to borrow. It's relatively easy. And until recently, the interest rates that they were paying were nearly scandalously low. So the point is, is, yeah, if you can think of productive things to do with money, then by all means, take the cheap money and use it to productively create returns for shareholders. And most every corporation avails itself of the bond market heavily.
0: So Ackman's proposal to McDonald's was to take that McOPCO and IPO it to make a bunch of money and then to issue a bunch of debt against the real estate holdings. And then to use the IPO proceeds and the debt to buy shares. Really he's just saying, why don't you guys go into deep debt, put the entire company in a more precarious position
1: just to make me richer. Like there's nothing that he's using the debt to finance for a long-term McDonald's advantage.
0: Exactly. It just seems like a form of financial engineering.
2: Mike, I think you're correct there. Notably absent in any of this is any concern about food. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> hey guys, I've got a great idea for a burger, right? That's not that kind of activism, is it? I agree with you as like a high level cultural judgment here. We are playing with paper and accounting structures and trying to make better businesses with it. And over decades of this, for good reason, there's increasing skepticism over things like stock buybacks. You see a lot of this in the culture today that Biden administration is considering placing additional restrictions on companies' ability to do that. But just briefly here, I mean, if I had to speak in favor of, by God, I'll do it. It is true. Let's let's try to be sympathetic to these Raider guys. Before the activist culture stepped up in the, in the 80s, it is absolutely accurate to note that the corporate, I mean, who's the good guy here? The corporate management or the hedge fund activists? You know, like culturally, these guys all suck, right? The corporate management was getting pretty lazy and fat and happy. And the point is, is that the investors in a corporation this size, a lot of them actually represent, quote, the people, the pensions, the individual 401ks, the people, you know, like Zach, fans of the brand trying to help save for retirement. And when management is paying itself exorbitant salaries and bonuses, and then when they're hoarding cash, the question is, at what point do you give that back to your investors? That was the whole point of this, wasn't it? So the stock buyback, you could see as basically saying, we have so much cash here, we don't know what to do. With it, And so it would make sense if you've made a lot of money, you know, there's different ways to return it to shareholders, dividends being one of them. I think that's probably I don't know if that was entailed in his proposal here. I think not. But a buyback, I mean, just briefly, when a company buys back its own stock, it sounds funny, but it makes a lot of sense. It immediately will, in theory, Push the price of the stock up and it reduces the amount of shares that are out trading. And, you know, is that a good thing? Yeah, I mean, it's good for when that happens. It momentarily seems to put money in everyone's pocket. It's just a way of transferring value from the house on the hill back to the people that have been funding it.
0: This proposal that he puts together to enrich himself and the other shareholders of McDonald's is not well received by McDonald's. The CEO reiterated that the company's unmatchable competitive advantage was its quote-unquote three-legged stool. The company, its franchisees, and its suppliers. And that rhetoric goes all the way back to Ray Kroc and sort of his feeling about the McDonald's operation works on behalf of the franchisees. He was a lot more like, let's keep the bathrooms clean, let's go sweep up the parking lots kind of focus.
2: I have to say, when reading the response from the McDonald's to the proposal. I felt a lot of empathy for McDonald's management because I think they were saying, what the fuck do you know about McDonald's? You can sit back and abstractly carve this up using accounting statements and theorize about the way the markets would treat these instruments etc. But you're not managing a company, you know? You're not actually dealing with suppliers and dealing with franchise owners. Imagine all the hidden complexity. And you know, in their statement they basically said that, like you don't you don't understand this. If we do this, we lose operational power. One tends to think they're probably right. There's stuff that Bill doesn't understand about how weird it would be to you know, just vastly change the company for this reason.
0: What I love about Bill coming in with this proposal, though, is he's not doing anything that's against the rules. The structure that McDonald's has built has enabled someone like him to come in and say, hey, there's profits that I can take off the table. Totally, And the company is saying, no, we want to hold that in a long-term way to reinvest and create stability for our franchisees, for our company, for our suppliers. And you have a system with a publicly owned company where that's not always up to you
2: they're both accusing each other implicitly of being greedy which is very funny
0: and i do like that there are aspects of the proposal that mcdonald's is sort of forced to admit are true but then what happens is as they're getting into this argument and these negotiations and there's some discussion about where their debt would get rated if they took on so much debt and how expensive it would become to borrow um suddenly enters
1: Vornado. They talk about Vornado and Vornado's similar proposal to Bill was, we're going to do something similar. We're going to take all that real estate and we're going to put it in an REIT, a real estate investment trust. And the way those work is they basically have to pay out everything in dividends and they can't keep that much money sitting around within them.
0: A REIT
2: is one of the
0: reasons why we have massive amounts of garbage being built. I sort of hate them.
2: It is... Subtly responsible for the physical shape of much of our like consensus reality in America, it's primarily you're right. It's like tax advantaged regulatory design. In theory, we have always, as Americans, uh, really wanted to encourage real estate ownership and construction, et cetera, et cetera. And the the REIT thing does do that. Uh, at scale, for sure. It's funny that um, Vornado here coming in with the REIT option is actually proposing something a lot simpler. I and mean, even though the REIT thing itself seems complex, as a known entity, they're just like, yo, throw it in a REIT. And uh, we don't have to do all of this kind of complicated releveraging leveraging and reinvestment. It'll just be carved up and simply understood.
0: So McDonald's has essentially a decision to make. They can take Ackman's proposal, they can go with Vornado's proposal, or they can keep going the way that they're going to be going.
1: And what do they do, Mike?
0: They mostly just keep doing what they're going to be doing. Right. McDonald's is impressive in that it's a business that's really hard to mess with from the outside. It doesn't seem like they're being pushed around very much at all, especially in comparison to Wendy's and the way that Wendy's was able to be shoved and manipulated by some of these
1: same characters. It's almost as if they're sitting on a very strong three-legged stool that combines real estate holdings, supplier leverage, and consumer brand. You're
2: drinking the management Kool-Aid, Zach.
0: I think it has a stronger corporate culture than... Probably most brands. And it's a strange thing that it is able to continue even as that CEO position changes, even as McDonald's adapts to things like adding breakfast, adding new menu items, going healthier. They've managed to hold on to control in the face of this hedge fund activism. There was a Lehman Brothers analyst that said that hedge funds were happy with Ackerman's proposal to Wendy's and reaped the benefits. And that McDonald's has adopted and will continue to adopt certain aspects of. Ackman's proposal. However, some of McDonald's stockholders are saying that Pershing, Ackman's company, and others should stop pressuring management since fundamentals are strong. So essentially, the analysts coming out and saying, some of these ideas make sense, but everyone needs to relax and let McDonald's be McDonald's.
2: It's an interesting take. Like if a company is profitable via the fundamentals, then they should be seen as being insulated from these wiseacre freelance CEO type activists from pitching innovation rather than just pitching, you know, pitching like fix your profitability.
0: Yeah. Save your financial shenanigans for companies that are in trouble. And where you're trying to extract that last dollar out before they crash and let McDonald's just continue to dominate fast food and the slow poisoning of America.
2: You know, it's not like that's a rule, you know, I think someone asserting that is just saying, hey, you know, just trying to set the rules of engagement for activists who are free to do whatever they want. This is very different than tech, because in tech, you're kind of there's this greater anxiety about you must have an insane growth curve, or you must be disrupting yourself constantly. But here we're talking about just this mainstay brand. If the burgers are flowing, bro, back off. (laughs) it sort of makes sense and ackman's not happy with this like
0: immediately after that he puts together his own conference and brings together a bunch of mcdonald's shareholders and basically does a a very mild revision of his plan but still is really pushing for this mcopco separation separate ipo and splitting of the company and trying to do a lot of the same things and they give him nothing and he sort
1: of spins it into look at all the things we got.
2: That part was extremely funny to me. So in the in the uh, the aftermath section, as we get towards the end of the report, he's made a big public to do about this. He's put his face on the topic. You know, he's in front of all of his peers on Wall Street. Management basically tells him to pound sand.
0: Yeah, the quote is amazing. McDonald's CEO said, the system is a bastion of credibility for a company that is at its core a franchising operation, abandoning it or restructuring it. As hedge fund activist William Ackman has proposed recently out of the question.
2: Yeah, right. Okay. So let me follow with Ackman's quote to business press, I'm sure. The day following McDonald's agreement to sell the, um, you know, the underperforming restaurants, we basically do nothing. Ackman dropped his activist campaign stating, we are supporting McDonald's because they're doing the right thing. They've given us pretty much everything we wanted, <laughs> which seems like a stretch. Let's be real. I don't think Ackman got pretty much everything he wanted. I read that as face saving entirely. He's licking his wounds.
1: But he still made out really well here, right? Because they wound up doing like a huge share repurchase thing and he had to buy a certain amount of stock to even get in the game.
2: You're totally right. He did put cash in his own pocket and shareholder pocket. So everyone would have to say, hooray, Bill. But um, (laughs) in terms of like the crazy things that he suggested as a manner of getting there, It's almost like a bribe off. You know, most likely there was some behind the scenes maneuvering on this with large shareholders being like, what do you think about Bill's proposal? Uh, We hate it. But would you take a dividend? You know, I guess win-win, but Bill did not strategically win this fight. He compares it to the Wendy's play and says, we convinced
0: Wendy's to restructure, you know, and the stock went up. And with McDonald's management, he basically says they were more willing to discuss our thoughts. And so that's his phrasing of why they're willing to back off is that they are Kind of willing to work with him it seems like if you can't move the rock then you have to kind of like spin to the rock is in a really good place (laughs) (laughs) totally as we look at this case study and we can kind of project into the future what do we think both mcdonald's has learned the hedge funds activists have learned what is going to change or potentially be impacted by the course of these events
2: I'm tempted to say this entire study to me was less about the effects of this kind of financial engineering because that engineering was not performed. It's really a case study about activism in general and how porous is a healthy giant company such as McDonald's to these kinds of external shenanigans. They probably, you know, learned, frankly, how to deal with people screaming at them to do differently and learned also that they simply didn't have to comply. In terms of real world effect, the burgers were the same. You know, some shareholders put some bills in their pocket and Main Street never really caught word of any of this in a way. That's kind of my takeaway.
1: If shareholders have learned anything, my guess would be that this sort of stuff is not too difficult and even in the worst case, pays out decently. And you might as well take your daughter's belief system and plug that into a pocket change investment that makes headlines because something is going to happen.
0: McDonald's structure ends up proving that it is at least resistant to shareholder activism while the stock price is doing well. The impact of whatever Ackman was trying to do, which going all the way back to the beginning where we were talking about these are not the same sort of corporate raiders, I think he was essentially trying to corporate raid McDonald's. He was saying, there's a value here that I can can rip out and I can pull apart for a quick win. And he wasn't able to do it. Had he been a more long-term investor, you know, Berkshire Hathaway famously holds a lot of McDonald's shares and has done incredibly well over a very long
2: period of time. Ackman's more of a short-term wins. We don't know the details here, but it is presumed that Berkshire has probably left McDonald's alone.
0: That's their model. They don't get involved in a lot of the operations. They look for strong brands with big moats that will just continue on and can make steady profits.
2: They buy in when they like management, not in order to brutally force a change. It's like you couldn't have more two polar opposite kind of character types here between Bill Ackman and Warren Buffett.
1: It's interesting to think of investing in something that you hate because you hate it, and now you're going to own it. You know, we Think of investing as well. I like that company. I'm gonna I value that. And it makes me wonder also if Carl Icahn can do this for sixty thousand dollars. It's not, you know, over time we could get that much money together, you guys. Do we have an activist pitch for McDonald's?
2: Activist investors went head to head with management.